0: Out in the industry right now, we're seeing more intimate places. It's not, let's seat 300 people in my restaurant, have a 200-seat bar. It's we're having a small, intimate 60-seat or less place that we can manage. And I always believe if there's a wait, there's a demand.
1: Hello. Hello. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by The Capital Times. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, food editor for The Cap Times, and this is a new series we're calling Making a Restaurant. With this series, we're looking at how restaurants go from a great new idea to opening the doors. We've talked with several experts in this area already. Caitlin Simnecht is the chief creative officer at Food Fight Restaurant Group. We talked with graphic designer Cricket Redman at Cricket Design Works, Melissa Destry of Destry Architects, and our last episode was all about the finance of food with Tara Johnson. These episodes should work in any order, but we welcome you to start at the beginning. This week's episode is a look at what we all have some experience with, the menu. Brandon Bay is an industry veteran who teaches part-time in Madison College's culinary program. He teaches menu planning and cost control, and one of the assignments he gives his students is to come up with a concept for a restaurant and figure out how to make the menu work, from the culinary influence to the cost. Brandon worked in the front of the house and the back of the house, and he was out in Denver working for a restaurant and brewery when he made the decision to go back into the industry with the ultimate goal of owning his own place.
0: You know, my dream at that time was to open my own place. And I was like, I don't know the kitchen that well. So I'm like, I need to increase this. So it's either do you go back to working in the kitchen for another 10 to 15 years, or do you streamline that and go to college? And my father's cancer came back. I moved back to Madison. I was on the fast track to go to CIA and uh, decided to stay in Madison and looked around at my options, and I ended up at MATC. And um, I was a little distraught at first because I was like, oh, I'm passing up CIA. Um, you know, Chef, um, Jeff Orr was there at the time. He was my uh, first semester um, instructor, and he pulled me aside and said, Brandon, it's all about passion. You know, it's not about where you are. It's about the passion that you put into it. You can be at CIA spending thousands and thousands of dollars, or you can be here, and if your passion is the same, you'll get the same amount out of it. And that really opened my eyes to it a little bit more. I didn't go to school to be a chef. I went to school to learn the back of the house. So if I opened a place and the chef and I didn't get along, adios, I can still talk to my kitchen staff. (laughs) Or if he moved on and, you know, we didn't, you know, he wanted to move on, they could move on and I could still run the back of the house. Because the worst thing in the world is to walk into a back of the house and you don't know anything and all the other cooks are looking at you like, yeah, I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. Why are you in my world?
1: How did you get into teaching?
0: So I worked for Gordon Food Service in sales for uh, approximately about five years and um, left that. I wasn't enjoying the roller coaster ride of commission (laughs) Um, and um, was just kind of taking it easy. And Paul Short reached out to me and said, hey, what are you doing? And I told him I was, you know, kind of looking around and looking at things. And he says, hey, you know, I think you should come and talk to me. And uh, I've got an idea for you. And I went back and Uh, With Gordon Food Service, I'd learned a lot about cost control, menu planning, menu design. Um, We were more of uh, helping a customer out than selling green beans. You know, everybody sells green beans. But it's like, what can I do to help your business? Uh, So by learning that, and I had also learned it in college, uh, but it just took it up a notch, um, he offered the menu planning class. I've been teaching that for the last five years. I started teaching cost control last year. I had nutrition for a while. Yeah. So.
1: so when you start out teaching menu planning, when your class comes in at the beginning of the semester, what are the primary principles that you're looking to sort of start with? Like, what are the parameters of the class? Give me kind of an overview of what what that looks like.
0: Put your cell phones away. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Actually, what I'm doing is um, getting a feel for what they're wanting to do. You know, are they wanting to do a food truck? Are they wanting to open a restaurant? Are they just wanting to be a cook? And I tell them all these crazy things, you know, menus, your marketing. It's your number one marketing tool that a restaurant has. Um, I, I don't care what anybody says. You can say advertising on TV, radio. It's not. It is your menu. If you hand somebody a menu that is too wordy and there's too much on it, I call it the Bible. You put it down and you go, do you sell a bacon Swiss burger? Yes. Can I have that? You're telling them what you want instead of the restaurant telling you what you should have. And that's what the menu is designed to do, is to steer a customer to the most profitable, best item that they offer.
1: Do most people want to open their own place? What's the percentage?
0: I think it's changed a lot nowadays. I think think you're seeing a lot more younger students that are wanting to do more of a food truck style, not so much of opening a full-on restaurant anymore. Because I think some of them have worked in them, And they understand the stresses, and they've seen it. And they're like, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Plus, it's, I mean, dining out has changed drastically in the last few years. You have the baby boomers that are getting in, you know, they're getting up there. And I think that's where a lot of things are going to change. I think you're, it's not a cafeteria style anymore. You're going to see three meals a day. You're going to have a cafe here. You're going to have a lunch place here. You're going to have a nice, fine dining spot. The expectations that, the are going to be higher. Correct. Where out in the industry right now, we're seeing more intimate places. It's not, let's seat 300 people in my restaurant, have a 200-seat bar. It's we're having a small, intimate 60-seat or less place that we can manage.
1: When you think about some of the concepts that are coming across, because in the menu planning class, do they have to design their own menu for their own concept?
0: Yeah, so what I do is I tell them, you know, sit down and think about a place that you want to open up. I want you to sit down with a piece of paper, and I want you to describe it to me. Tell me when you walk through the front door, what's the first thing you see? What are the colors you see? What are the, what's the atmosphere? Is it busy? Is it noisy? Is it quiet? What are the staff dressed in? What's the food you're seeing walk through the place? Walk all the way through the restaurant into the kitchen. Is the kitchen a harmony? Is it chaos? Is it quiet? Is it microwaves? <laughs> Whatever you want it to be, just write it down on a piece of paper. Because at the end, your menu is your story of what your restaurant is. Because it has to revolve around the theme and what you're trying to produce. It's a 16-week class. But there's a 14-week project, and it is designing their uh, theme and their concept. Then it's actually telling me who their demographic is. Who is it that they're wanting to sell to? Is it the college student? Is it the blue collar? Is it the white collar? Is it a mix? Is it you know? Are you opening a family restaurant? Are you doing a taco? Or are you doing yeah a taco truck? Where are you going with the taco truck? All of these things, and that's when they're like wow, this is actually a big deal. This isn't a little project. And it's like, oh, the time's crunching down on us. Then we start the costing progress, or or they write their menu and make sure that their menu follows suit with their theme and their concept because you get a lot of kids that are like, I want to create and I want to do this. And it's like, okay, you have Greek, Mexican, and Italian on your menu. (laughs) But then it's getting them on board and understanding that there is, there's some cohesiveness that you have to have through the whole process. Um, and then it's teaching them that as much as people say they don't want to, but you have to micromanage. And it's not so much micromanage as this is the way I want it, it's micromanage the numbers and understand. You're getting into an industry that's very hard to be the millionaire that everybody thinks you are when you own a restaurant. So you have to find, how do I make that grow? Where do I, where do I find those pennies? Where do I find those nickels? And that's where you micromanage your costs. That's where you literally sit down and you price out all your items on your menu. You figure out what your food cost is and you make it work for you. You develop your menu layout to work for you to make you money. And then you do it again quarterly, six months, however, to figure out this isn't working, these items aren't working, let's get them off the menu, replace them with something else. Now, I do know that this, the farm-to-table and the seasonal thing is here. Um, they still have to do it. No matter what, they still have to take a look at their menu. This is selling like hotcakes. Yes, we change the menu every you know, three months, but do we want to take this off because how much we sell of it? That's a discussion to have. It's not a yes, we take it off, or no, we don't. It's a discussion that you have to have to make it, is it still fitting with what you want to do? Because your concept can change. It can change monthly. It can change, you know, bi biannually, However, you want to do it. Plus, you have to listen to your customers. Are your customers happy with what you're doing? Do you fit into what they're looking for?
1: We are so excited to announce the first ever live Corner Table podcast taping. On Tuesday, June 18th, I am interviewing Chef Nianika Banda, former Madisonian and founder of Martha's Daughter Restaurant in Duluth. Join us at The Rick House, a new event space within Old Sugar Distillery, for a chat about Nianika's return to the nomadic restaurant life and the joys and challenges of cooking in the upper Midwest. This event is free for Cap Times members and $10 for non-members. Go to Eventbrite for more info and get your tickets now. I'm also, I'm interested in to hear you say, like, you not only have to f- figure out, like, what is your concept going to be in, in terms of like what kind of food do you want to serve? But also, who's your demographic? Um, I write sometimes about places that open up that are really specifically to say we want to serve this community. Like this is our community of like first generation, um, you know, immigrants who there's a lot of us here, but there's no restaurant serving this particular food that you know that we love and you know remember. And yes, of course, it's open to anyone, but it's first and foremost. For this specific group of people, do you see concepts coming across that are like, you know, this is my background, this is the food that I grew up with? Or are you seeing sort of more ambitious, like, you know, I'm going to do this, this, you know, higher end or intensely local or, you know, what kind of things are you seeing around that, I guess?
0: Um, I do have some international students that come in and have done, you know, they've done Thai, they've done, uh, I I had an awesome one that was Indonesia.
1: That sounds which, delicious, <laughs> yeah.
0: Which I had to go and redo some educating of myself <laughs> to understand the plates that they were putting on the menu. Um, but you do see that. You do see, uh, or you see an um, influence menu. You know, it's Asian influence, or it's, you know, I we've had students that have come from California, and they're doing a California influence, and people like, well, what's California influence? It's kind of Asian, and it's, you know, fresh. And it's, you know, they want to do seafood. And I'm like, you're in the Midwest. Are you sure you want to do seafood? (laughs) <laughs> and
1: it's but, and Sitka's got a big start here, Sitka yeah. salmon. And, you know, I've, I've worked with Quijack before and I okay. got a salmon share that I split with like four other people because it's so expensive. But it's, it's great because you get these beautiful sides of salmon that are flash frozen and it's wonderful. If you're a restaurant and you're trying to meet specific margins, maybe you have to offset something like that beautiful salmon with something else on your menu that's going to be, you know, maybe the salmon's a loss leader.
0: Yeah, Exactly, and that's what I tell my students is that, you know, your your ideal menu, in quotes, is right around a 28% food cost is kind of where you're shooting for on all things. Now, that's on your entire menu mix. Um, That being said, if you're a steakhouse, unless you are, you know, a high-end steakhouse that can charge you $65 for a, you know, a tenderloin, which most are not, they're charging like $24.99, well that's gonna be a 40 or 50% food cost. So where are you gonna make that up? You know, Now you have to make up 20% somewhere to offset that. Where do you do that? Salads, appetizers, desserts. For all the servers and everybody out there that gets mad at your managers for yelling at you to sell coffee and desserts and appetizers, yes, it's to boost your tips, but it's also because they know that they'll make up their money off those items selling those items to offset the steak that you just sold on your menu (laughs) or on your table
1: (laughs) and wine too right
0: yeah and wine and beverages definitely alcohol and beer and the whole works and you know the microbrewery thing here in town is just expanding crazy and uh and I lived out in Denver and I love it I mean it's great to see it expand and the nice thing about those places is that they kind of get a little bit of more of cushion because they are producing their own beer. And if their beer's is their hot seller, then they've got a little bit more cushion when it comes to the food and the labor and things like that. But still, they have to follow those costs because no matter what, if you're not following your costs and you're not micromanaging those, eventually something's going to go wrong. Something along the line will go wrong, and you'll either implode or you'll have to sit down and re- reconstruct whatever you're doing. Um and I only say that from experience of watching, I don't know how many restaurants, that we, this is what we do, this is all we're going to do, blah, 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 They don't ever change. They don't ever look at, you know, what, what do we do? Where do we go? They just keep it the same, and eventually it's either it's redundant and people stop going there, or they don't follow their costs. And food costs rise, like we've seen. You know, 2008, with the crash, food costs went insane, and i kept i was with gfs at the time and i'm like you need to raise your no some subway's 5 dollar lunch i have to have a 5 dollar lunch no you don't <laughs> you're cutting your you're cutting your lifeline when you do things like that it's hard to say that to somebody but and it's also hard to tell the public hey it costs us money to produce what's put what we're putting in front of you we need you to pay for it yeah <laughs>
1: What role do trends around things like tacos and poke bowls and, you know, ramen, like, what role do, do you see those trends playing in terms of, like, how your students are approaching their menu planning, you know, what kinds of things you're seeing coming down the line?
0: I think um, what I'm seeing when it comes to trends is that it's, um, it's either all in or nothing. It's not like I have these couple tacos and then this on the menu. It's, it's a taco shop or it's a ramen shop. It's not a diverse, we've got a couple ramen bowls, we have a couple salads, we have this and that. It's strictly this is what we do. I've never really challenged them to take it and go, hey, why don't you do ramen, but also do something else? Because I love that they get so inspired by this is what I want to do. This is and, and they just get so focused on it that if I were to throw something into it, I think it Sometimes I think it discourages them and they kind of back away from it. I'd rather let them just flourish and go with it. And then I always tell them when we're done with the class and after I've graded the projects and things that if you want to sit down and talk about this, I have absolutely no I just had a student that I had four years ago call me on the phone. He's out west. He's like, hey, we're doing this, and I'm using my menu that we designed, and I want to trade change some things. Can you help me out? I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. That's lovely. <laughs> and they still use, you know, I, do a co- I got a costing spreadsheet to do menus, and it's pretty basic, but I, I get students all the time, hey, I'm using this. Uh, I need to tweak it a little bit. Can you help me out? I'm like, yeah, it's Excel. We can do this pretty quick. You know, shoot it over to me, and we'll do it via on the Internet and stuff. Today's world in the kitchens, we were discussing earlier that the mentoring part of it, there's a lot more – needing for mentoring and teaching and being, being a coach and being the person next to them instead of the person above them. You know, how do you, how do you take this person that, you know, they read K- Kitchen Confidential and they're coming into a kitchen thinking it's rock star livelihood, and that's slowly dissipating. It's not that style anymore. And if you find that style, it's not what you thought it would be. And you end up in a world that you really didn't want to be in, but the glamour of it sounded really cool.
1: Is there advice that you give to your students who, you know, they want to go out, they want to open their own place, they want to open their own food truck or cafe or bakery or whatever it is that they want to do? Um, What kind of advice do you send them off with?
0: Remember, you're not the only one. That's the big one. Remember, you're not the only one. And I mean that in like multiple ways. You're not the only one in your restaurant. You're not the only one that can make decisions in your restaurant, even though it is your restaurant. Um, You're also not the only one that's vying for the customer that's outside. I always, um, (laughs) so I spent a lot of my time in the front of the house. And um, I, I always find it funny when I read I read all the reviews and everything, and it's a lot of it's on the food there's not a lot on service where it used to be all service forward and then restaurant or the food kind of came in after the service. you know it used to be about the experience, not so much as the food
1: I think that the outlet really makes a difference. Oh, correct. So when I'm writing, usually I am focusing very much on the food. but when I go to like Yelp, Mm -hmm. there's still a lot about the service. How quickly were you greeted? You know, did you get water quickly? All of these little things. And I find that fascinating to look and see.
0: I always tell my students, it's like, (laughs) it's kind of crazy because you can serve great food. Mm Mm-hmm. And have terrible service, and that person will never come back again.
1: They will never come back again.
0: And you can have mediocre food and have the best service you've ever had in your life, and you'll come back every time.
1: That is so true. (laughs) It makes me a little bit crazy. Yeah,
0: it makes you come back every time because I had a server that worked for me that, pardon this, but she was so, so drilled into her tables, and she could have as many customers as you could handle or, or that she could handle, and I would get, hey, Um, my, my table's upset. Can you come out? I'm like, okay, what did you do now? And I walk out and every one of them would be like, it's not the server's fault. She's awesome. (laughs) It's this, and I, every one of her tables. And I always like, yeah, this server, you could, we could put poop on the plate and you'd eat it and smile. (laughs) (laughs) She's that good. She was that good. But she also, you know, your water was never empty. You always had, you know, the item that we gave away free, well, it's Pedro's, it's chips and flower tortillas. So. <laughs> but she was so into her tables and she was so sweet and nice that nobody complained about her ever. And, uh, and we got a lot of repeat business because of that, because the service was outstanding. It's all about the experience. Are you paying for the experience? Are you enjoying what you're doing? Or are you just going out to dinner? Food and music will take you back to a second in time. It could be with your grandmother could be your first date with your wife or your spouse could be the you know the last meal that you had with somebody it'll take you back in time just hearing a song takes me back to high school or actually can take me all back to middle school but food as soon as you touch it it's like oh my god this is great you know well look at the show ratatouille movie ratatouille <laughs> yeah it's that's true that's <laughs> so powerful. if you think about that how you affect people with the food that, that's what I kind of get across to the students, and the students, I think they understand that because it's like, okay, think of something. I make them do that in class. It's like, think of a meal that you had that you can sit here today and describe it to me from start to finish, and they all do it. I'm like, okay, wouldn't you like to create that yourself? I'm like, even that meal, could you create that meal? Yeah, I've done it I, that, because I love it so much. Then awesome, put it on your menu. Make your restaurant design around that find the thing that drives you and make your restaurant around that story tell your story be be who you want to be and that's the other thing is that we're so driven on being told what to do you know you want to make the customer happy but don't you want to do what you want to do so do what you want to do you know if you're not happy where you're at move on and do something you want to do if you're not happy with the menu you're producing You can wipe it clean and start over. Nobody's going to tell you, no, it's your place. (laughs) So and that's kind of life, you know, just do what makes you happy.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking about this. Thank you for the educational work that you're doing. (laughs) Uh, And uh, full mile. Sounds like it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's actually a pretty pretty happening place right now. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. We get editing help from Eric Lawrenson. Follow us on Facebook or subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Recently, we've had stories about a new Hawaiian food cart called Jack's Ohana and a diner called Sunny's Kitchen in Oregon. Don't forget to get tickets now for our live podcast with Chef Nianika Banda owner of the critically acclaimed Martha's Daughter restaurant in Duluth that she recently took on the road. That event is Tuesday, June 18th at the Old Sugar Distillery Rick House. General admission is $10, and it's free for members. Go to bondacornertable.eventbrite.com for tickets. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, Cap Times Food Editor, and my wish for you this week is rhubarb cobbler. Cheers! Cheers!